0: And so good morning, my friends. This is the last Sunday. Today is the last Sunday of this Lenten season. This Lenten season where we are paralleling Christ's own journey, right? His own journey into these wilderness spaces when when he was, when Christ himself was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where he was led and then at the end of his 40 days he battled the lies of the slander, right? This is how we began this series. Five weeks ago, with the lies of the slander, the same lies that we face each and every day. the lie that we are what we have, we are what we do, and we are what others think or say about us, basically our reputation. And over the past four weeks, we've been exploring. We've been exploring ancient Hebrew poetry. Right? We've been wrestling with those same three questions in regard to our own identity. And we're allowing these poets, these words of the poets, to give us language for our own journeys into the unknown, our own journeys into the liminal, uncultivated spaces of life. We began with Psalms 32, yeah? And we talked about the importance of, of, of being honest, we talked about confession, confessing before God, confessing before one another, being honest with ourselves, being honest with each other and honest before God. And then we went into a two-week miniseries on lament. Right? We pressed into our own sorrows and despair, our own lament. We, 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 we went through Psalms 42 and Psalms 13 the last two weeks. Speaking of lament, that guttural unfiltered cry from deep within our soul, acknowledging the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that comes when we are led into the wilderness. Well, today we're going to attempt uh, to wrap all of this up, hopefully in, a, in one neat little little bow. Um, we're going to look at one last poem from the book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to look at Psalms 92, the same psalm that that first song we sang was, was, was based upon. Uh, And hopefully we can kind of, yeah, take this all up and head into Holy Week uh, next Sunday um, with this wilderness kind of coming out of the wilderness and into another kind of wilderness of Jesus, actually, as he goes into the city of Jerusalem. But let's begin this morning with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy, 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 Holy Spirit, as we end this Lenten season and start pressing into the themes of Holy Week next Sunday? Would you give us new eyes in which to see, new hearts in which to feel, new minds in which to think, and new hands and feet in which to view the world around us? God, as we wrap up this series in the wilderness, as we wrap up confession and honesty, lament and suffering, as we wrap up this season of of journeying into the unknown, liminal, uncultivated spaces of life, we ask that you would take our hand and you would finish this journey with us. We pray all these things in your most holy name. Amen. All right. And so as part of our digging into this uh, ancient Hebrew poetry, uh, we've been also leaning heavy, if you haven't noticed, leaning heavy on the original compositions and languages, right? We've been mining these various uh, Hebrew metaphors and and word pictures. We've been, we've been looking into and digging into the prose of these poems. Uh, and so if you're following along, actually today would probably be the best Sunday of all of these to file along because we're going to be in these verses, for quite a bit this morning, we're going to be in uh, heavy in Psalms 92 this morning, um, and you'll notice if you are uh, if you do have a Bible open and you are reading through, you'll notice that Psalms 32 starts with the title. Right at the top, the the, the, the poet writes that this is a mizmor, just meaning a melody. That's actually where we get our word psalm from. Okay, mizmor. And then he follows it up. Not only is it a melody, but it's a song, the poet writes, a song for the Sabbath day, the seventh day, the day of, or actually the first day, um, the Sabbath day. And so we're going to begin right here in the first verse, and we're going to take some breaks throughout this to kind of go through and see how these pieces are are coming together. And so we're going to begin right here in the first verse, where the poet writes, it is good to give thanks, to cast thanks upon Yahweh, to make music in praise of God most high, to be conspicuous of, to be attracting, or to bring attention towards your loving kindness in the morning and your fidelity, your steadfast by night. And then the psalmist is going to give us some instruments that we are to be... Remember, this is a song for the Sabbath day. And so here are the instruments that he's suggesting we use for our praise. He says, on The Nabel the bell is just a skin bottle. Um, I think a water bottle, uh, a, 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 a container used for holding water or oil or wine. Um, some scholars will translate this as the lute which is a stringed instrument, much like a guitar, but it really wasn't a thing until the 13th century. So I'm just going to go with what the poet said, and we're going to say skin bottle. Okay, we'll think drums, like the skin of a drum. Okay. So he says, make this music on the skin bottle, on the manabel, and on asawar, the ten. And so I guess we can just assume this is an instrument that has ten strings. And then he says, to the resounding music, or the meditation, that's another translation, but it's the meditation of bacon noir, which this would be the lyre, a stringed instrument, uh, like a small U-shaped harp with strings fixed to a crossbar. And so in these first five verses, or these first three verses, um, we see the poet t- pleading with us, it's good to give thanks and praise on all these various instruments, right? Like we just did, right? On the, on the skin and on the strings, you know, stringed instruments. The, the, the poet says it's good. It's good for us to make music, especially music and praise of God, most high. But why does the poet think it's good to give thanks and praise? We'll continue in verse 4. He says, For you have made me rejoice, Yahweh, through your works, through your deeds. In the works or the deeds of your hands, I will give a ringing cry. I will sing. I will give praise. He says, how grown up, how becoming great, how mature are your works, Yahweh. Your thoughts are meod, muchness. It's just a word that means muchness. We could say abundantly deep. Your thoughts, Yahweh, are abundantly deep. And so the psalmist is laying the groundwork for the rest of this psalm here. That the very ethos, the very center, the very core Of Yahweh, right, of I am who I say that I am, causes gladness and rejoicing, right? That the creator of the cosmos, what he does, what he creates is good, yeah? Harkening back to Genesis, he looked at everything that was surrounding all of creation and it was very good. And then not only good, but this phrase that we read, becoming great or grown up, mature, right? With mature, deep roots, which is exactly the way that the architect designed this to be. Which is now going to be quite the contrast to what we'll see beginning in verse 6. So now we're going from how good it is to praise and sing to Yahweh for all these deep, mature roots and thoughts that he has. And our author continues in six, contrasting this. And he says, A brutish man, a ruthless, a cruel, and violent man does not know. And likewise, a fool or a dullard does not discern, does not fully see the true design for creation. So when sprouts up or when blossoms the criminal, right? The wicked, those who are brutish, you know, the poet here is referring now back up to to the beginning of uh, verse verse 6 here. So when sprouts up the criminal, those brutish people, like herbage, like weeds, like quickly growing grass, and when blooms up or blossoms all, and this word, Pawali when, two different words here, the workers of sorrow. When these workers of sorrow, those who cause trouble by hurting others, it is that they may be brought to nothing. They'll be plucked down from a high place. And then we see this phrase we saw a couple weeks ago, ad-ani, as far as where, remember? This is one is as far as perpetuity, forever. And so we know that Yahweh is good, right? This is why we sing. This is why we rejoice. Yahweh's works are great. They're mature. They're rooted in deep fruitfulness. But as we've been exploring this entire Lenten season through confession and lament, the effects of sin are all too too real. Remember sin just being an archery term for missing the mark. You could say here that the psalmist is talking about missing the mark of God's great and mature deepness, how he created all of it to be. And so our writer is saying that those who are not mature, those who are not deeply rooted in their relationship with Yahweh, deeply rooted in their relationship with his creation, this world and all that dwells within, will end up resorting to the antithesis of who Yahweh is. The antithesis of Yahweh is verse 6. Brutish, ruthless, violent ways. That are simply looking for a quick, lazy fix. We saw this play out this week in Atlanta, right? A brutish, cruel, violent activity that was looking for a quick, lazy fix. This worker of sorrow, right? That's what Pau Ali Awen, this worker of sorrow, someone who leaves pain and suffering in their brutal wake. But while a ruthless and cruel and violent path can blossom up quickly, right? It can achieve its ends pretty quickly. You can kill six people in a matter of a minute. The poet here likens that to a grass or weeds. Because brutality will get the results at once, in a short manner, because it uses force. But the poet reminds us that eventually, this way of living will get plucked down. Our author says we'll run out of steam because it goes against everything that the creator intended for its creation, which is shalom, a deeply rooted, mature sense of peace. And then he switches back to Yahweh here in verse 8. But you, Yahweh, again, contrasting that to the brutish men, but you, Yahweh, are on high, are on an elevated place, right? You haven't been plucked down as the brutish. And then this word here, leoleam, leolam, lam is such a beautiful word. It, it, it literally means in antiquity, right? So in the past and also in futurity. Just basically forever, enduring for all of the ages, and then I'll back to the, to the brutish. For Hinnah, behold, your foes, basically those against your mature works and deep thoughts, Yahweh, for Hinnah, behold, your foes shall become undone, ruined. And all the workers of sorrow, all the pawali awen, the workers of sorrow, those who cause trouble by hurting others, shall be divided, shall be scattered. You see what the poet's getting at here? that even though ruthless, cruel, and violent ways may blossom up quickly, like the grass or morning dew, as we sang about, it can grow up easy because it's lazy. There's no imagination in brutality. There's no imagination in bloodshed. It takes no maturity to partake in. But yet, the good news is that because its roots are shallow, these so-called victories eventually become undone. Right? Think about it. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. You reap what you sow. Violence only begets more violence, right? You harm me, I'll harm you back. Yet Yahweh's ways are deep. Yahweh's ways are mature. They're deeply rooted. They're filled with imaginative roots that produce long-lasting fruit. Roots that, he says, we too can grasp onto. And this is how the poet ends this, this beautiful poem. He says, but you have put my horn. You almost could translate this as unicorn. I'm not even joking. And actually, I think in the Septuagint, it actually does say a unicorn. But you have put my one horn, symbol of strength, on high, right? On that elevated place, just like Yahweh. Not plucked down like the brutish men, like a wild ox. I have been mixed, I've been mingled with fresh, luxurious fats. I could probably say oils would make a little more sense for our ears. And in verse 11, and my eye has looked upon my foes. My ears hear those who afflict, who rise up upon me. Verse 12, the righteous, the honorable sprout. They blossom like the palm tree, right? They grow like a cedar. Cedar being a symbol of tenacity because of its deep roots. Like a cedar in Lebanon. These roots of the cedar are opposite of the lazy, shallow roots of brute force. Verse 13, for those who are transplanted in the house of Yahweh... They shall sprout up. They shall blossom in the courts of our Eloheno. And then verse 14 is some fantastic wordplay here, my friends. This, was perhaps, this is perhaps one of my most favorite verses I've translated in a very long time. Um, I think, Mark, I think you're going to get a kick out of this as well, actually. Uh, verse 14 starts with baseba, literally in hoary head. Have you ever heard of hoary head? You know what hoary head is? White or gray-haired people. Okay? So in hoary head, when your hairs are white and gray, <laughs> listen to this, they, who are basically rooted in mature, created ways of Yahweh, shall still bring forth fruit. This is a, like, this is talking virility here. This is, called, this is actually leaning into some sexual virility here. They'll still be virile. They will shall be fresh and luxurious and no lie, full of fat. Okay? But think about it. <laughs> the, 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 the translations you might have might be full of sap, right? And, and think about, and, and they, they maybe didn't have words for sap, and so the sap of the tree was like full of fat. It was good. It was like full of the anointed good fullness, fatness, the satisfyingness of, of Yahweh. So you really could just say in your old age, you'll still bear full of fruit and be fat, okay? Um, but they'll, people will be this way people will be this way so that way they can be conspicuous so we see that word again standing out as to be visible again attracting notice or attention to the fact that Yahweh is straight Yahweh is upright Yahweh is just and the poet says he is my rock and there's no injustice in him isn't this a beautiful poem from the psalmist here it ends so perfectly too that contrasted to the brutish ways that we do often resort for to, the brutish ways that we do confess and we repent of, especially during this season, that now he talks about the roots of the shady palm tree. And these shady palm trees are beautiful because they're being used the way they're created to be used. Or the, the roots of the cedar in Lebanon are tenacious, they're strong, they're not going to blow over in a mere windstorm because the roots are doing what they've been created to be. The poet is telling us that the roots that blossom and produce fruit, the roots that are fresh and filled with fat, that are filled with satisfaction and goodness, are indeed the roots of God and are the very sustenance of its creator. These roots that the poet speaks of here are really everything upon which our very identity is built. These roots that are mature, not brutish as in taking life, but full of life and abundantly deep as are Yahweh's. They're growing in our very being as the creator breathes life into our lungs, forming us, molding us, and transforming us into his likeness. Flourishing deep, deep into that core, into the reality of who we are. And when those roots come in very deep, they counter the slanderous lies that we began with this Lenten season, that we are what we have. We are what we do, or we are, what others think about us. And I don't know if you've noticed, but over these four weeks, as we've been letting these certain poems wash over us week after week, we've encountered three very distinct Hebrew metaphors that these different psalmists have used throughout these four psalms to describe where, exactly where the roots of our identity can grow within us, okay? And this is where they can grow within us and squeeze out those lies of the slander. The first one that we've heard multiple times in these different poems is, is this word asame, literally bones, our body, the very substance of who we are. The second one we keep hearing is lab, our heart. That word, our inner core. Think Christ's sacred heart, right? That that, that picture that we did a Visio Divina of about a year ago with that picture of Christ's sacred heart right there in the center of his chest. Not a literal heart, but his sacred heart. And then the third one is napsi, our soul, our living being. This word in Hebrew is our life, our person, our desires, our passions, our appetites, and our emotions, our very core, our soul. And so these various psalms are crying out to Yahweh, crying for Yahweh's roots to take hold in their bones, in their heart, and in their souls. Yahweh's roots that are not shallow and lazy. Yahweh's roots that are not brutish and ruthless. Yahweh's roots that are never cruel or violent. They're not weak weeds that grow up quickly for a short time but then eventually just kind of shrivel up in their own hollowness. But rather, Yahweh's roots that are grown up, that are mature, that are abundantly deep, Yahweh's roots that produce good fruit and bring life. Yahweh's roots grow slowly. It's a slow process, my friends. Yahweh's roots grow slowly, but they grow strong like the cedar in Lebanon. Those roots are there for the endurance, for the long haul. They're there, Adana, in perpetuity. Another Hebrew poet came along speaking of the roots of Yahweh, and he said it this way. He said, Makarioi, oi tokoi numati. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are those who mourn or lament, for they will be encouraged. Blessed are the mild and gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be fat. (laughs) They'll be fattened, yeah, satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, the compassionate, for they'll receive mercy and compassion. Blessed are the clean in heart, for they will see, they'll discern Yahweh, they'll discern God. Blessed are the peacemakers, the shalom makers, for they will be called heirs of God. Blessed are those who are pursued for justice' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are you when people reproach you, revile you, pursue you, speaking all kinds of brutish and evil things against you. Faultly on my account, rejoice, Jesus says, and be glad, for your reward is much. It's much in the heavens. It's abundant in the heavens, for in the same way they pursued the prophets before you. Christ is saying, blessed are those with deep, becoming great, mature roots, just like Yahweh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, as we transition from this Lenten season into your most holy of weeks next Sunday, God, may you take all of these ancient hebrew poems we've been studying we've been digging into and would you allow us them to shed light on you and your cross for we know that christ you on the cross is the place where all of this comes into fruition where all of this fruit bears out into the world Where on that night when you were betrayed, you took bread and wine and you said, this is my body and my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. That fruit that was poured out from your body for our sake. God, as we continue in the liturgy of our week, as we take the liturgy from our service and move into the work, the liturgy of our week, this upcoming week, way we do so through the lens of your more mature Deeply rooted, fruitful ways. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, just as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.